This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, Meeting the Challenges of Macular Degeneration, a Story of Hope. Our speaker today is Dan Dunbar, and he'll share his story about AMD with you. If this is your first time joining us for Bright Focus Chat, welcome. Let me take a moment to tell you about Bright Focus and what we will do today. Bright Focus funds some of the top scientists in the world. We're supporting research all around the globe that is trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We then share the, the news from these scientists with families impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org. Bright Focus chats like today are another way of sharing this information with families. Today, if you want to ask Mr. Dunbar a question, please press star 3 and an operator will take down your question. And let me give you a phone number in case you get disconnected during the call. That number is 877-229-8493. Then you enter the ID code 112435. Let me just repeat that. That number, if you happen to get disconnected, is 877-229-8493. And then you'd enter the ID code 112435. And lastly, if you'd prefer to listen to this chat online, you can now live stream the call today at brightfocus.org forward slash live chat. That's brightfocus.org forward slash live chat. And if you happen to be listening online right now, you can submit your questions by emailing us at chatquestion at brightfocus.org. That's chatquestion at brightfocus.org. Now let's turn to today's guest, Dan Dunbar. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Um, we asked you to be a speaker, and we invited you today, because we often get emails and phone calls from people like you, people who are diagnosed with AMD, and then went through a, a, a difficult time looking for answers, maybe looking for new treatments that are helpful to them. We're going to explore those, some of those topics today, but Dan, I was wondering if you could just start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your life and your experiences, what you did, what you enjoyed doing before you were diagnosed with AMD? Dan? Yeah, thank you, Michael, and good morning, everyone. Um, I, uh, I had my, well, uh, AMD started with me back in the, uh, almost at the turn of 2000, uh, and uh, was treated with it. Um, they kept telling me I, there was something on the horizon and just to hang in there. <laughs> and I did that. And in about in November of 2011, uh, my uh, retinologist called me and said, well, we're all ready to go finally. We have the FDA approval and you're scheduled for your implant operation in a couple of weeks. So um didn't have a whole lot of preparation for it, but, you know, I had a really fine retinologist, and uh, they assigned me a team of, of optometrists and uh, optical therapists and, of course, a surgeon that was very good. And that team uh, gave me the instructions that I needed, explained what was going on and what happened and would happen and the post-operation, and, and it was all very good because it, it was thorough, and I really didn't have too much question about it. Um, I should explain that I'm an engineer by trade, so I look at things differently than most people. 
Yeah. And everything has to <laughs> everything has to have an explanation, all right? So uh, the operation went on. Uh, I was awake the whole time, although it didn't have much bearing because they had one eye. Uh, the implant was put in my left eye. The right eye was uh, covered with a Dixie cup or something, so I couldn't see out of it. And the other one, when they removed the lens, it just got, you know, just white and shadows and things like that. But there was no pain. There's no discomfort. Took about an hour and a half, something like that. Um, and uh, the, uh, I think I was the second one in the U.S. to have this implant after wow. the FDA approved it. Uh, so oh, we get all done, and in a, I, they put a patch over my eye, and I, I left the hospital because I was treated as an outpatient. And... Uh, we drove home, and in a couple of hours, I took the patch off, and, well, I could see, sort of, you know. I couldn't see very well because the eye was highly dilated, very strongly dilated. Sure. And uh, that just lets light in from, I didn't realize there was so much uh, open tissue around the, the lens, but there is, and you just get lots of light, and you just can't do much yeah. with it. So. That went on, in my case, about two and a half months because they were very concerned about keeping the iris back away from this, the telescope. And so they kept me dilated. Now, nowadays, I understand that dilation is kept on for about a month, four weeks, a month, yeah. something like that. Wow. And so, so the point I want to make here is you can't really use the telescope during that period. Okay? Wow. It's just, yeah, there's just too much stuff coming through. Sure that you really can't distinguish what is it that's telescope and what is it that's other. So mm -hmm. no, um, interesting. I um, yeah, and so, quick, right. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to, you know, in a moment, you know, hear, um, you know, some more details about it. I'm wondering if we could just kind of just briefly go back to the initial diagnosis, because I think your experience might be really helpful to uh, people on the call. What made you first uh, realize you needed to see an eye doctor? Well, I had spots in my eye, or uh, I couldn't see very well straight on, and um, and it was a very slow process, by the way. It isn't something that happens overnight. Um, yeah, I, I was wet. It was it was wet apparently, although I didn't know that's what they called it at the time. But anyway, there was blood onto the retina, and it occurred in both eyes, but it occurred in slightly different places. So it was very distracting, and it also creates a significant distortion in your vision. And uh, so they spent quite a little bit of time trying to get um, my eyes dried out. And in those years, they didn't have the, the medicines that they have now. Um, yeah. Basically, I had to work with a medicine called Macogen, which really wasn't very successful. Hurt like the thunder when they'd stick the needle in, because yeah. I kept telling them the needle was you know, give me a sharp one. And I understand they, when they packaged the medicine <laughs> in the syringe, they then sterilized it and it actually did make a rough needle. Oh, but my. It, yeah. it, it yeah. didn't really curtail the bleeding, right? Sure. Wow. And now, during so this time, time, uh -huh. yeah, now, during this time, was you going through this, I mean, what was... What was your state of mind? Did you ever go through the, the, the why me or any of the, the type of... Um, uh, no, not really. Yeah. No, no, not really. Uh, no, I don't think 
I, I don't think I was ever what you would call depressed or felt mm-hmm. sorry for myself. It was just kind of one of those things that, that happened. Yeah. I I shot enough rockets in the world to know that you don't always control your destiny. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> some of them don't go the direction you want them to go. Yeah. Um, do, do, yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice yeah, for, for people that you know, might be at the earlier you know, stage of concerns about their eyes? Like, I mean, in your experience, what makes for a, a good visit with a with an eye care professional like what type of questions or how should how should one approach a visit to to make it as helpful as possible well first of all i think an individual needs to be inspected by a qualified eye professional a retinologist or that sort of thing a retinologist looks at the back of the eye and you also have mm-hmm. problems in the front of the eye too so uh but a, a good eye professional just to keep status of what your eye condition is because it changes. Um, and when all this is going on for me, I end up getting glaucoma because the eye professional didn't really watch what was happening in the front of the eye. He was concerned about the back of the eye. Sure. And, and so pressures got out of whack and there was some damage done. But I think the thing that uh, uh, every individual ought to be aware of is that when wetness occurs on the retina you get a rosy view of life when you look out your eyes because you have blood and you're looking through the blood and it changes you have like spots of rose color you know it's not red but it's it's a it's a color that isn't there before and so if any of that ever happens beat it fast to a retinologist because you may have serious bleeding and the first thing that has to be done is to stop the bleeding. And in my early days, the way they stopped bleeding was with a laser, and that just meant you kill the retina. Uh, yeah, I think so I'm sure you're – yeah, if I just, just uh, interrupt for a second. If anyone on the line has questions for Mr. Dunbar, you can press star 3 at any time to uh, mm-hmm. uh, briefly talk with, with an operator um, so we can ask some questions. So, Mr. Dunbar, at what point did you learn about this um, – the centrosite treatment, the implantable miniature telescope. Well, like, was this something you had heard about, or? Well, no, not well, not directly. What what the retinologist and the other optometrist people that I was working with at the time said there is some things going on. The FDA is approving a technique. It looks very promising, and you're a candidate. And it took me quite some time to find out what the what I was a candidate for. But they said, well, it's a telescope. You know. And uh, I thought, oh, well, that's an interesting approach. Sure, you know, why not? And um, then I got more information as it went along. They showed me how it was done and and the size of it. And the thing that's, uh, that is kind of disturbing is when, you're, when you go to visit your team and they start working with you to get, get you ready for the implant, they give you um, a test telescope or trial telescope, however you want to call it. It's about two and a half inches in diameter, about five inches yeah. long, and weighs five pounds on a big stick. And you look at that thing and you think, eh, there's no way you could get that in my eye, you know. <laughs> but yeah. it does provide, it is a good device. It does show the patient what he, he or she can expect when he has the implant. Uh, it does show show that, and that's very important. But that that's what, what went the, on before November. Yeah. What were some of the other kind of 
you know, questions you had or worries that you had when they, when they told you they wanted to put a telescope in your eye? Well, I just wondered, I want to know whether that would stop everything, whether, you know, my, uh, have further degradation or not. And they said, well, no, you shouldn't as long as we have the retina dry. And mm-hmm. uh, I think they were right in that sense, because I don't think my retina really has changed very much. In fact, I feel there's even some improvement, but that's probably, uh, that's probably just my head. I don't know that there's any truth in yeah. that. But how, how does uh, so, the telescope work? Like, I mean, you're, well, you're, you're, all, you're, you're an engineer. How does, how does this okay. help somebody? Well, the, op- the operation, work. I don't mean to discourage anybody, but the operation basically is you remove the lens, your natural lens, out of your eye. Mm-hmm. And they open the hole a little bit, and they put this device in. The device is, as I said, the size of a pea. It's a multi-element yeah. telescope, all right? So... It is fully compensated, fully coated, too. So it works pretty well at night. Uh, you don't get halos. I, I'll get reflections off of the elements, but they're way away from the center vision, so it doesn't really bother you. And it's, it's really wonderful being able to you know, ride in the car with my wife and at night and look across the road at the oncoming traffic and be able to see the headlights clear and crisp Wow. You know, rather than a big blur, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, yeah, it, it really is amazing. And as far as how it works, it works just like a telescope. You you know, when you go to a sports show or something, you buy a three-power telescope, and that's basically what you have, and you have it implanted, which means that it is a piece of your body, okay? And so it's all located that way. You when you you can turn your eye and you move the telescope as you turn your eye just like you normally would do. The problem is the telescope reduces your vision from about a hundred and fifty sixty degree field of view down to twenty or thereabouts. Wow. Don't hold me to, to the numbers, but it, it's approximately twenty, and that is is adequate. Tell you how adequate it is sitting in the front seat of the car on a freeway. And I look straight ahead in the lane we're in, like the number one or number two lane. I can okay. see both lanes on the other side of the freeway, plus the ones on the right, without having to move my eye. Now, uh, I see it, that about maybe 200 feet in front of the car. That's amazing. So, uh, so, did, so did yeah. Yeah. Did you have to have any type of occupational therapy, a physical therapy, to be able to... Oh, yes. Uh, Use this and how, what do they do? Like how how did well tell us a little they bit about start, that? Yeah, they started you with sure. They started me with a patch. They had me get an eye patch and they put the eye patch over the eye that they were going to put the implant in. All right. Now this is before there was any operation, and they had me walk around, walk outside, you know, under fairly, you know, they wanted to make sure I didn't do anything really stupid and walk into the street. But they wanted me to get experience with navigating around with the old eye, the remaining eye, and using yeah. the peripheral vision, which in my case is pretty darn good. It doesn't see what squat in the center, but yeah. around it, it has pretty good vision. And so yeah. that 
that's some training that you learn early on before the operation they have you work with. They also have you work with the test telescope and that sort of thing. But the main, the main thing initially that they had me do was to work with the eye patch and to learn how to use, in my case, the right eye for my peripheral vision. And sure. then the, the implant is put in. And once the, um, uh, once the dilation is pulled off, then you can begin to, to really use the, the telescope. And you start working with it mainly, to, first of all, to get a single vision because you have two visions. You have a big one, which is close, and you have your regular one, which is probably distorted, but it's you know normal uh, experience distance. Let's put it that way. Because yeah, what you what any individual sees is an experience. It's not physical. It's what the mind has resolved as yeah. normal. Okay, and so you 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 have that, and then they give you. Um, uh, you 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 start working with it. They don't really do much. Uh, early because you have stitches in the eye and there's a lot of astigmatism. So they can't do a whole lot of things until those extra stitches are removed and the eye settles out. And then the optometrist can come in and make make some measurements and fit uh, distance glasses to correct distance and optimize your, basically optimize They, they, you know, fit the old eye and try to make it as good as it can be and then there are some little corrections that they have to make with the telescope because it's not a sure. perfect location. The eye isn't perfect. There's a lot of things not perfect about it. Sure. Well, so and that does, yeah. And then they give you, let me do one more thing. They give sure. you one other pair of glasses which allow you to see close because remember, you've got a three power telescope in your eye. And if yeah. you try to, try to look close, like read a book with a three power telescope, you're not going to see anything. So they have, right, to, yeah. they have to then uncorrect your telescope so that you can see close. In my case, uh, uh, that means a focal point of about a foot away from my nose, foot, foot uh, and a quarter, yeah. something like that. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and, you know, so that's what you start with. Then you can start your exercises, and they give you exercises to do because you first – the first thing you got to remember is you the person the patient has spent some amount of time not being able to see directly in front of the eye because the central vision's gone so there's nothing there to see and the person you know if he if you walk up to the patient and you talk to him he's not going to look at you or she isn't going to look at you she's going to look at some angle whatever the mind has discovered is the best optimum angle that the eye can be set at and to give you the equivalent of decent forward vision, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and you understand that, because that's a really important, because now you have a lens that you can yeah. see directly in front of you. The whole retina is used as your uh, central vision now. Yeah, and so true. the mind You're, has to yeah. learn to put all those elements together and say, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so, but, yeah so Dan, your your experience has yeah. uh, had a couple, we've got a couple questions from people that are wondering um, about cataracts. If somebody has, like, wondering, did you have cataract surgery before this no. or after this? No, or what's the I, intersection? Okay, I understand. What's the intersection of cataracts that, and IMT? Yeah, I, well, I understand that they're not qualified yet 
to put the lens into an eye that's had a cataract surgery. They are working on it. I personally don't see that there's any real problem. It's just that you've got to get through the FDA uh, yeah. with this alternative. Sure. I think that's the issue. You should check with Center okay. Oh, yeah, sure. No, we don't want to. Because they, they yeah. know the details of that. I okay. don't. But okay. in, in, in so re- far, you can't, you, you can't have cataracts in the eye that you're going to have the implant. You and can have cataracts in the other eye. Okay. Sure. Related to that, Mary from New Jersey is wondering about: um, Does the telescope work for people who have had retinitis pigmentosus? You... I have no idea what that is. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I, you know that. Right. Oh boy, I don't know. I okay. I, well, it certainly sounds like something people should talk to their eye care professional um, well, directly yeah, about. When, when and, that's right. When they Centersite usually assigns a team of doctors, uh, a retina retina specialist, a uh, surgeon, optometrist, and a physical therapist. Uh, and that they come and they examine the patient, and they can make that determination of whether or not the right, uh, telescope. Sure. Sure. Let's get back to your own experience. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like your life has really, uh, you know, made some big changes. Um, is there... Um, uh, is there is there activities now that you that you know new hobbies you've taken up or uh... no old hobbies I gave up because I couldn't do anything about it. Oh really? I was a model yeah. model train enthusiast and I I couldn't see the cars enough to do anything, so I gave them up. Now I can see I can see from one end of my layout exactly which car is where. That's great. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's there. And the other thing that's even more important to me, I, I was never a top-notch skier, but I really enjoyed it. And I had pretty much had to give it up because I couldn't see where I was going. And because my, I don't know, but I don't know if we made a uh, technical measurement, but my vision was pretty fair out to about 50 feet. Beyond that, it was really questionable what I was seeing. Yeah. Uh, Plus, I had a lot of problems with seeing things that physically weren't there. There is an explanation for that. It's some kind of syndrome. But it does happen with people that have low vision. And because your mind is active, your mind does all kinds of crazy things for you, some of which you like and some of which you don't. And... uh, you you know so it's not uncommon for a person with low vision to have funny scenes that he sees that you swore up and down exist and they don't. I had cars come off the freeway when we were driving, come off the freeway, rise up and go over a bridge. Not it's not possible, you know, but that's yeah. what I saw before I had the telescope. I don't have yeah. that problem anymore because I don't have low vision anymore like I had before. But th- those are the some of the issues that you know you have to be aware of. Now, yeah. can I get That's back great. to the physical sure. therapy, the training? Because yeah. Yeah. it is important because of what I had explained, it, the AMD causes the loss of sight over a long period of time, and your mind is working all the time trying to compensate for this loss, and it ends up with a, a procedure to control your eyes that is not optimum, all right? And so you put the telescope in the eye, and now the mind says, oh, I want to see Charlie over there. I look at 
20 degrees up or 5 degrees up and right or left. It doesn't matter whatever whatever the mind is concluded. But it the mind doesn't point <laughs> the telescope where you want to see because it for years it hasn't been able to do that anyway. So it just doesn't do it. So now you have to train your mind to do it correctly. And that's where the physical therapist comes in. They give a set of exercises and you put them on the wall and you do your exercises and you go outside and you uh, check moving things So because scanning sometimes is a problem. Uh, the, uh, you, you have to remember that the telescope is three power. So every motion of the eye that is normal in the old eye, with the telescope, it, your vision moves three times the angle. Hmm. So you have to be careful. I mean, you, you get jitter problems because, you know, you're, you're used to moving your eye a certain way. Well, now if you do it that way, it's three times more than what you had experienced before. And so uh, just because that's the optics. Uh, yeah, well, and so you have to get used to those things, and that's what the physical well, therapist does. Well, well to, it, it is a big change, but it's not something that is insurmountable by any means. Yeah, it just yeah, you just make your mind up, and you go yeah. do it, and you do your exercise. It's like any kind of training; you have to keep doing it until you got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. I now imagine. we have a example. Question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carmen right. from Florida is wondering: um, Do you have any discomfort? Uh, now that you have this device in your eye? I don't even notice it's there. It doesn't feel any different. The eye isn't heavier or it doesn't move any slower or anything else. I don't have any more irritation. In fact, I have less irritation in that eye than I have in my old eye. You know, uh-huh. it's still subject to getting dust and dirt in it and things like that. But uh, yeah. it, it's just, it's just, it's sort of like your normal eye. That's and it is funny that there is no feeling that that thing is there it's no different than your regular eye you know so uh, we have a question uh, related yeah. to um, to the IMT uh, Alice from Maryland is wondering is this something that insurance or Medicare covers well I don't really want to speak to that too much I'll tell you my experience and Medicare and the government is constantly changing things so whatever happened to me it's not necessarily what's happening now Uh, But what happened to me was uh, Medicare took care of everything except I think there was a $100 charge for something that went on, but it paid for the surgery. It paid for any of the post-surgery support. It paid for the optometrist to make the, the measurements and, and follow. And by the way, in my case, the optometrist was my technical advisor because I'd get these funny things that would go on. I didn't understand why, but I'd call her and she'd explain to me. Um, and then you have the physical therapist, and, and there's a certain amount of time given by each of those. And uh, it was really no, at no charge. Um, and that's why I want to volunteer and help things because I have I have a lot of people. There's a lot of taxpayers. I'm sure I owe money to. Yeah, but, <laughs> in terms of, well, yeah. In terms of it, um, you know, you've had such great experiences. What advice mm-hmm. would you give to to uh, you know younger generations, maybe the the children of, of people who are um, 
starting to uh, you know have low vision diseases such such as such as macular degeneration. Like any advice that you'd give for for children of um, of people who are entering into uh, these type of medical experiences in terms of caregiving or you know um, um, questions they should ask or sure. what, what would you yeah, what would you say to younger well, generations? Well, uh, yeah, well, it, it depends upon the stage of, of the disease, but uh, I would think, in my case, uh, I'll give you an example: skiing. Okay, I like to ski, and I usually ski with my son, an older son, and uh, he was forever coming up to me and saying, "Why didn't you turn back there at that junction and go where I told you to go?" And the answer that his question was, I didn't see it. Um, and so he'd get frustrated with me. And here I'm thinking I'm doing exactly what he told me. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> there's some understanding. I think the younger people need to fully understand what the patient is going through. Because it it's such a slow disease that the person doesn't ever understand the change. It just, you know, it just oozes in and does it. And you don't really know you're not looking right, you're not doing, you can't resolve things, you may be seeing stuff that's not there and that looks funny to people and you don't kind of worry about them. But that's, you know, that's something that I think the younger people need to understand is, is what that person's going through and what their abilities really are. And, and to help them. Now, you know, uh, I had a very understanding wife. And, uh, and I was with a doctor for quite a long time before I was allowed to have the implant. So the doctor kept me informed about what was going on. And that, that was helpful. And so I think every individual, no matter what the age, needs to have a regular visual checkup. Yeah. And then, yeah, and, and you and know, follow great, it up. Yeah. Sure. That's great advice. I just want to tell our listeners we have some materials that um, that are, are about the point that, that Dan just mentioned about getting regular eye exams. Uh, these are all available free of charge on our website, brightfocus.org, or at our phone number, 800-437-2423, 800-437-2423. Or you could stay on the line at the end of the call. Some of the things we Mm -hmm. have, we have a free publication called The Essential Facts of Macular Degeneration. Mm -hmm. We have a uh, popular brochure called Safety in the Older Driver. It it helps families um, uh, talk through some of these situations. And the last one I want to mention is we have a a nice, short, simple card that fits in your pocket or your purse called The Top Five Questions to Ask Your Eye Doctor. And it's all these information is available free of charge from Bright Focus. And, And Dan, I just wanted to to take that moment to, to mention that to our listeners, because I think you're exactly yeah. right about the, the, yeah. the gift of, of eyesight. And um, we and, and also just one more thing I want to mention for our listeners. We have a fact sheet about the implantable telescope that you can, if you stay on the line uh, at the end of this call, you can um, uh, you, you can get a copy of that for free. So we just mm-hmm. have time for uh, a couple more questions. And uh, Dan, if you don't mind uh uh, answering one of our callers is wondering um, how old were you when you had this procedure? I think I was eighty, almost eighty-one. Uh, in that time, there was a restriction that you had to be over seventy-five to be able to receive the implant. Now it's changed, I believe, to sixty-five. But 
that time. So right yeah. now I'm coming up, and next month I'll be 85. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, and, and I, uh, I'm enjoying yeah. life, let me tell you. <laughs> it's well, great. I can see. <laughs> yeah, that is, and we have uh, a, for a question, uh, Gay, from your, your home state of California, is asking, uh-huh. is the telescope ever used for dry MD, or is it um, just for wet MD? You can tell us a little bit about the the, the type of macular that this is used for. Well, it is too. Uh, I'm going to have a little hard time answering that. I, they will not implant the telescope if you have wet AMD. Okay, mm-hmm. and and the reason for that is the thing is changing a lot, and so um, it's just you don't you don't really know. I think what what to do with it, but they won't do that. At least they didn't for me. I had to have I had to have dry retinas and they had to be dry for a period of several months. It yeah. turned out they were dry for several years because it took a long time to get the FDA to approve it. But uh, n- nonetheless, they have that requirement. Now, uh, the, the, the issue really is AMD destroys central vision. And that then affects a person's ability to see, read, do lots of things. Um, the telescope then enables the whole retina, which probably has a lot of good retina tissue in it, um, including the bad stuff. Uh, and it enables it, that whole retina to be used as a central vision retina. And it's, it's amazing. At once in a great while, I, under certain lighting conditions, I can see the scar. I can see the defective retina, but most of the time I don't see it. It just isn't in my vision. And uh, and it's sort of weird, like, well, okay, the scar is still there. I ought to be able to see it, right? Well, it doesn't happen. The, the mind has averaged out the information off the rest of the retina, and it's presented me with a very good set of vision. I have 2050 right now. And that's pretty good. That's good enough. I can ski great. I can see the snow on the ski when I'm skiing. I don't run into things. That's, that's nice, great. you know. And re- yeah, yeah that's, and related to that, Colleen from Canada is wondering: Can you uh, is your eyesight good enough to use a computer or a smartphone? Oh yes, I do it all the time. I am on my iMac uh, every day for quite a few hours. I use a smartphone. Uh, I it depends. It really, you're in my case. If the type size is under 12, around 10 pica, it gets me difficulty. I have to use a magnifier to that, bring it up. That, you're, you're so not that's the resolution that. area. Yeah, that's the resolution yeah. area for me. But I'm <laughs> on it for for days. There's a there's a little element I'd like to share with everyone. Sure. I work with QuickBooks a lot. I've worked with QuickBooks since I think they invented it. And and so I'm on QuickBooks. We're online. It's being the calculations are being done somewhere other than my computer. And one day it tells me that they want they want to update my program and I said, "Okay, do it." And then it gave me a sign that says, "Okay, you can open your program." And when I opened it, I got a no, no image, just a white screen. There was nothing there except my cursor. 
And I moved the cursor around, and I thought, well, maybe the computer's died or something. So I che- checked the other programs. No, they're all fine, but I just couldn't get any image on the QuickBooks. So I called into it and said, hey, what did you guys do? You know, <laughs> and they said nothing. And they got, took a hold of my computer, and they said, no, your computer's working fine. Uh, how can that be? Because I see no image at all on the screen. And... Uh, so she had me run some tests and told me if I moved the cursor to a certain point of the screen, I should see a box with three items in it, a magnifying glass, a big plus sign, and a thing that looked like a gear. And the minute she said gear, the entire screen came instantly into view. And I said to Emily, hey, what did you do? I just got it. And she said, we didn't do anything. So that's caused some review with other people. And and what it is, is the mind is what gives you your vision, not the eye. The eye is used to update the mind, but your memory of your mind is what you actually see. So if you haven't seen it before, it may not present to you what the eye is telling it because it doesn't know that that's what's there. So you get wow. managed vision. That's my conclusion. You get managed yeah. vision. So w- once that happens, th- it's okay. I never had another problem with QuickBooks. That always comes up and always looks great <laughs> and everything. Well, that, yeah, yeah. And, well, thanks. And numerous experiences that, but that's that's the problem with low vision. Okay. Yeah. When you have low vision, it, things like that happen. So. Yeah. Well, anyway. Well, thanks for sharing this. Before we conclude, I want to uh, ask the audience a question to help us plan future chats. Uh, so to the audience members, if you found this chat very helpful, please press 1. If you only found this chat somewhat helpful, please press 2. And if you did not find this chat helpful at all, please press 3. Again, that's 1 for very helpful, 2 for somewhat helpful, and 3 for not, not helpful at all. So while we uh, tell you those results, I just want to send a very special thank you to Dan, to Dan for sharing his story today. I want to thank everyone who's joined the call and submitted questions. If you're interested in receiving information about Centrosite or any of the Bright Focus publications that we mentioned, just stay on the line, leave a message, and we can follow up with you. Also, in about a week from now, we'll have a recording of this call on iTunes and SoundCloud and a written transcript of the, of the call on our website, brightfocus.org. And again, just stay on the line at the end of this call, and you can... Um, Uh, request any of these publications for free. Our next chat topic will be expanding your low vision care team on July 27th. That one is going to be one hour later than usual. That's going to be at 2 o'clock Eastern time. That's expanding your low vision care team on July 27th. And we encourage you to stay on the line to register for that now. We'll also be sending you a reminder email. And um, once again, uh, if you have any questions, stay on the line and ask, and we can help you. And it, you can call Bright Focus uh, anytime at 800-437-2423. Again, that's 800-437-2423, or visit us at brightfocus.org. Uh, Dan, I just want to thank you very much for being so generous with your time. Um, I think your, your experiences have been, been very helpful and, and, and inspiring to, to all of us. So, uh, Dan, thank you to... Uh, for what you've done and, and to our audience thank you for, for joining us today so thanks Dan thank, thank you Michael thank you alright take care Bye. 
The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.